Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible people here this morning. And God, as we start this series, may you challenge us and push us to see you in full color, HD, 4K. Help us to see you more in a bigger picture than we can understand right now. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a parent of a kid in elementary or middle school and you're somehow connected to fleece, then you know what FCSL is. Do you know what that is? All right, we see some thumbs up. It's the Florida, what's the C word? Christian Soccer League. It's been created by Fleece, and it happens at Fleece. And here's what it is. Soccer is apparently a big thing in Florida. I don't know what soccer is. I'm a basketball guy. I don't know the rules. I just cheer loudly for my children. Um, This is one of the teams in the second and third grade group. This is the green team. They're all separated by colors. You can see Caffrey up there. You can see Coach Karis Zabarschuk. He's up there, did a great job this season. Some other good looking fellas and and Addison in the middle there. Good group of people. Here's how it works. If you wanna play, you sign up for this thing. Then they have this um, tryout. It's basically a scrimmage where all the students play in their own age groups. And the coaches, we see several coaches here this morning. The coaches take notes and they, they, they they make notes and they say, well, I like this guy, he can, he's running fast. This girl, she's really good at defense, I want her. And so then they have this draft, which sounds super official when they pick teams. Now here's the deal, I've, I saw it in action this year. There's some sneakery behind the scenes because if you're real smart, you'll get a coach with an amazing player and he'll have an assistant coach with an amazing player and it just so happens that they have to have their own kids on the team. They work in the system, I saw it, which is totally fine, I don't really care because it was a lot of fun. But uh, the, this, this draft is a very important thing. See, the third grade boys, and I know there's a whole row of them in the, in the balcony, on the front row there, they're ducking because they don't want to be seen. Um, all of these third grade guys are very competitive with everything. Who can be the first to the swing set? Who can eat their lunch the fastest? Who can get their math assignment done the quickest? I mean, it's just a nonstop competition. And so as the draft was happening, my own third grader, Caffrey, he was very worried about what team he was gonna be on. Was he gonna be with his friends? Was he gonna be on a winning team? Was he gonna be on a losing team? It was very important stuff in my household. Well, no matter what team you're picked on and no matter what age group you play at FCSL, there's always one team that is better than the rest. There's probably some champions that are in this room right now. I know there's some here on the fourth row, Cruz, there's a champion, yep. In the uh, second and third grade group, the champion team was the yellow team. I'm a little bitter about that because I was rooting for the green team, so uh, no picture of the yellow team today on the screen. (laughs) Oh man. But it was so much fun to watch the yellow team, guys. They were so good. They would run nonstop goal after goal, and they were nice too. It was just fun to watch them. And I remember one game very specifically. After the green team had played, my family stayed to watch the yellow team play because they were so good. And, and we were just watching there. I was standing on the sidelines with one of the dads from the, the, the green team as well, and we were talking about what was happening. And there was a, a handball. And so the refs blew the whistle and they, they put the ball where it needed to be. And so the yellow team kind of huddled up a little bit. And then uh, the other team made a wall so that they had to kick around them or over them. And as the yellow team came out, it was so obvious that it was intentional how they lined up. 
you had most of the yellow people over there, but there was one guy that just kind of slid over to the side. Nobody noticed him, and he just hung out kind of over on the edge. Now, the dad that I was standing with, he said, if they're smart, they'll pass it to him. And like he had been in the huddle with the yellow team, the guy gets ready to kick the ball. It was Aiden Sosa, I believe. And he faked the kick at the goal, kicked it sideways to Jackson, and Jackson buried it in the back of the net. This was a plan that was developed and prepared long before the yellow team was even formed. It was a plan that was prepared long before the players were on the field. It was a plan that was created before the game had started or the whistle had happened because they knew, the coach knew, Benji Castellan, he's one of the guys that rigged the system a little bit. Are you here, Benji? (laughs) Great guy, love him to death. He had made the plan knowing that at some point, some player would touch the ball with his hands and that this plan would be put into action right then. So long ago, before the creation of the world, long before sin ever entered the world, God had a perfect plan. In fact, his plans are always perfect because he's God. It was a master plan that could only come from the master. It was perfect. He thought of everything well in advance of human beings ever being made. Oh, and it's the most selfless, humble plan you could ever think of. Way back in time. In fact, in the Old Testament, Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, he tells us about this plan. Now, it's buried in this text in a most obscure little phrase, and so it's a little hard to really get there. But if you want to dig deeper, maybe this afternoon, read the introduction chapter to Patriarchs and Prophets, and you'll get the big picture real quickly. Here's what Zechariah says as he describes God the Father and God the Son as they come together to discuss and create a plan. Here's what it says. He shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. It's, it's a very obscure little passage in Hebrew. Zechariah is literally calling this not the council of peace, but he's calling it the plan of peace. He's talking it the plan of completeness where God the Father and Jesus huddle up and they say, we've got to plan ahead for what will happen and what will be the need down the road, way down the road in time. How can we bridge the gap between humans and God? And it's at this cosmic huddle with the supreme creator of the universe that Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, make this plan. A plan of redemption for all humanity for all time. And the Council of Peace, this plan of redemption, it would soon be put into play because humans did the unthinkable and they step outside of God's design. In fact, in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the second chapter, here's what happens. Here's what the Bible says. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, when you take that bite, when you taste it for the very first time, you will certainly die. In Hebrew, this is what it looks like. Mut tamut, dying you will die. Now I know there's some theology majors here on the front row. Chris, can you still read that Hebrew? Nope, can't, me neither, I had to Google it. 
Dying, you will die. Basically, God is saying, you're dead meat. If you eat this fruit, you're gonna die. You're a goner. There's not a chance for you. And when I read these words and when I hear God speaking to Adam and Eve, it reminds me a whole lot of parenting. Now, if you just celebrated Mother's Day, God bless you. If you are not a parent, praise the Lord. <laughs> I love my children to death. I would never give up my kids. But parenting is hard. Can I get a witness, somebody? Woo, that's the loudest amen this church has heard. It is so hard, and I mean, I love being a parent, but nobody ever tells you how much time you're gonna spend as a parent um, with if-then statements and bargaining with your children, am I right? Nobody tells you, but it's all the time. Like, listen to these phrases, and I guarantee you've said some of these. First service, they said a lot of these. How about this one? If you don't take a shower in the next 10 seconds, then you will lose screen time this weekend. You've said those words verbatim, haven't you? You have. How about this one? If you don't clean your room, then your friends are not allowed to come over and play. Uh-huh. I bet you've said this one. If you don't brush your teeth, they will rot out of your head. <laughs> and I've seen this. I've seen it happen at the playground. You'll have families with little kids, and they'll be playing, throwing mulch, eating the sand, whatever, they're playing. And, and one little kid, there's always that one kid, he's probably yours, he's definitely mine too, uh, he'll, he'll kind of walk towards the edge of the playground and you'll see the parents and they look over at the kid and they say, don't, don't you do, no, don't you do it, no, don't you, if you take, if you take one more step, young man, and you'll watch them, they'll look over their shoulder and they will just keep on going. Have you seen that before? The parent has said the consequence, they, they've, they've given a warning, and yet the kid still continues to go. And God says to humans, if you eat the fruit, moot tamut, dying you will die. You are certainly dead. You are definitely going to die. If you eat it, it's a death sentence. Yet you know the story of Adam and Eve. You know how it worked. They go and they take the bite of the forbidden fruit, and they don't instantly die. I mean, God just said, when you eat it, you're going to die. Yet they don't drop into cardiac arrest and start foaming at the mouth. They actually don't feel anything different at all. And isn't that what sin is like so often? I mean, so often we fall into sin or temptation or whatever it is, and you don't even realize it sometimes, or you don't even feel differently, and so you just continue on the, the road of life like nothing has happened because you don't sense anything different, you don't look any different, you don't know any different, and you just continue down the path on the way to the grave. And I'll tell you why you feel that way. It's because of the plan. We all know that the wages of sin is death. God just said it in Genesis, when you eat of it, you are going to die. But because of the plan, it's the plan of redemption, the death payment for your sins was already in the works before you ever sinned. The death of Jesus was already set in motion before you ever took the first bite. In the middle of Revelation chapter 13, which I think is a really cool chapter in our Bible, we don't talk about it very often, but I believe the United States of America is straight in the Bible, almost word for word right there, as, as prophetically you look forward in history to uh, this, this beast that comes out of the sea, or the beast that comes out of the people, and you see in the United States, and as John records this vision from God, talking about a beast, here's what he says. 
And all the people who belong to to this world worshiped the beast. This is the one that blasphemes against God's name. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered when? Before the world was made. Jesus slaughtered, slain before the world was ever created. I mean, Jesus didn't die before humans created, but the plan for his death and the plan to save sinners was created long before we were ever created. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world, his death was planned and prepared before sin ever entered the human bloodline. That's the plan. Ellen White, she's one of my favorite all-time authors. She writes in one of my favorite books, The Desire of Ages. She says it this way. She says, before the foundations of the earth were laid, the father and the son had united in a covenant. It's a promise to redeem man if he should be overcome by Satan. They'd clasped their hands in a solemn pledge that Christ should become the surety of the human race. As they huddle together, as they, as they make this promise, this covenant, this plan of redemption, they say, we hope beyond all hopes that humanity won't fall into sin, but if they do, and we know they will, we have the plan to save them, and it's in Jesus. If, if humanity doesn't slip into the slippery slope of Satan's schemes of sin, we have a plan a plan of redemption. His plan back then sets us up for redemption today. His plan back then was created for now. As church retreat was winding down this last Sunday, I had an experience that I think was a really cool one, and it reminded me of the plan, the plan of redemption. If you've never been to Kalakwa for a church retreat or an adventure camp out or something else, then you don't know that the most important thing that you bring is your bike. I'm serious. You better bring your bike before you uh, bring your toothbrush or clean underwear. Bike is the most important thing. Children, adults, bring your bike. And I knew this because I'd been on an adventure camp out and I didn't bring my bike. I was that guy. So it wasn't going to happen at church retreat. And so on Friday, before church retreat started, I started getting everything ready. I went out to the garage and I got Kanan's little blue Trek bike out. I knew it had a little leak in the tube. And so I, I'd already purchased a new tube. And so I got the wheel off, replaced the tube. I have this little DeWalt 20-volt battery-powered compressor. You guys may have one as well. They're fantastic. And I pumped up the tube, pumped up the tire, pumped up all the family's tires. And I thought to myself, you know what? I wonder if I'm going to need this on the trip, this little compressor. Uh, Maybe my tires are going to go low. Maybe somebody else, I'm going to take this compressor, I'm going to put it in the van. So I tucked it in the van. And then I knew that Kanan's bike seat uh, was a little low because he's been growing like a weed. And so I took my Allen's wrenches and I got the right one and I adjusted it, pulled the seat up, tightened it up. And I thought... I better keep these Allen wrenches close by because I might need them. His seat might uh, need to be, he might grow over the weekend, who knows? Put them in the van. Then I said, you know what? I might need to bring my my ratchet wrenches. Y'all know what ratchet wrenches are? Oh. Brian Henning knows, he's nodding. See, if 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 Father's Day is coming, y'all, if, if your husband does not have ratchet wrenches, there's a great set at Home Depot. It's 20 bucks, perfect for Father's Day. You're welcome, ladies. Every man needs ratchet wrenches. They're the greatest thing ever. I don't even know why I thought I might need them, but I put them in the van just in case. You got, you got to have a plan. You got to make sure you have everything you need. So we load the van up, two bikes inside the van, two bikes on the trailer hitch uh, rack on the back. We head to Kalakwa. 
Get there, have a great weekend. On Sunday morning, everybody's packing up. Uh, everybody's getting ready. I stayed in the chalets over there. I'd heard terrible stories about coming back with black lung disease or whatever it is. I'm good to go. I only saw two cockroaches, so it's fine. We're loading the van up. We've stripped the sheets off the mattresses. We got everything in there. We got three bikes in. One, Caffrey's is in the van. My bike and Jen's bike are on the back. Everything else is packed, and we're missing a bike and a son. It's Kanan. He's out riding around. So we get in the van, and we're driving around camp looking for him. Finally, we see him. He's riding down the sidewalk towards the pavilion. So we pull over next to him and wave him on. He, he comes over. So I have to take my bike off, take Jen's bike off, open the trunklet, put Kanan's bike in, close the trunk put the bikes back on. And as I'm putting the, back, the last two bikes on, a, a young man, and I love this boy, he comes zipping past me on his bicycle. Here's a picture of him. Here you go. This is Wyatt Simmons on the left, the three amigos. And you got the twin boys, one of them, his name Bentley. And I'll let you figure out which one it is, because I can't tell. I heard that one of them has a birthmark on the cheek, but I'm not seeing it right here. I don't know. Anyway, Bentley was the man. I had to get, get clarification on this. He's riding by. He's got his bike helmet on, a cool-looking bike helmet. He's riding past me, and he says, Hey, Pastor Matt! These guys are awesome. Every time I see them, they come up and give me hugs. Hey, Pastor Matt! He goes riding by me. Hey, buddy! He heads up around the corner, and I'm, I'm done. I, I got the bikes all loaded. I'm ready to go. And as I'm getting into my van, I hear the sweetest little voice from around the corner. It's Bentley. He says, Pastor Matt, I need your help. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. <laughs> Finally, get out of the van. I look, try to see him. I can't even see him. I walk around the corner. There's Bentley. He's there standing over his bike, kind of looking distraught. I say, hey, buddy, what's wrong? And he reaches down on the ground, the dusty ground, and he picks up his bike pedal. I mean, this guy's dead in the water. He's not going anywhere. I mean, can you imagine just one side? It's not going to happen. And as he holds his bike pedal up, I think, this is what the plan was all about. He needs my help right now, and I've got the tool. I said, come with me, buddy. So he kind of hobbled his bike back to the van, and I carefully opened the, the deck lid. I didn't want to get the bikes, you know, off. So I reached in, I got my ratchet wrenches, and 10 seconds later, Bentley had his bike fixed, and his trip to Calacqua had been saved because there'd been a plan that long before I ever knew that somebody would need ratchet wrenches, I had them just in case. And as I think about Bentley, it makes me think about the plan of redemption that long before you were ever created, long before sin ever was a thought in a human brain, God had a plan to save sinners. I'll tell you what, this plan was not an accident. This plan didn't happen as sin happened and God said, whoops, we didn't think of that. What are we going to do now? This plan happened so long before you were ever created because that's the heart of God. A God that loves humans enough to save them before they've even sinned. It's a plan from a God of love whose love knows no boundaries, who's not held by time and space, whose love covers sin and conquers the grave. And while that plan was created so long ago, I'm so glad that it's working right now.